So with that, by way of introduction, I want to encourage you, if you have a copy of your Bible, to turn with me first to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read two passages in the opening chapters of Genesis, and that will be our text this morning. This is God's word, beginning in chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then, if you would turn down to chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we pause to ask in these next moments that you, by your Spirit, would remind us of some basic truths and perhaps teach us some new truths. Help us to have new insight for living as Christ's people in this time and in this place. We ask it for his sake. Amen. Well, this past month has been quite a month. I mean, June. Not only did we hear of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and not only have we rejoiced in the decision and thank God for that, 
measured as it may be, we thank God that now we have justices who judged according to the law and have at least returned back to the states, the authority and to the people, the right to make that decision. Although, of course, it is a moral decision, and in reality, no state has the freedom to opt to murder unborn children any more than any state has the option to or people to murder one another. But these are, that's been a significant event. And as I alluded to in my introductory comments, of course, there have been a, among those who are pro-life. Uh, there have been among those who are Roman Catholics and evangelicals and others, faiths who have a modicum of a biblical worldview. There has been rejoicing, but there has also been a, a loud cry of outrage on behalf of many In addition to that development, we all this past month, if we have a phone or if we have a computer or if we drive anywhere, we have been inundated with rainbow flags, although they're not just rainbow anymore. There's lots of different colors on there. We have just been subjected. think Think of it this way, and I'm not overstating it. We have just been subjected in the past month to an evangelistic campaign. The good news of the LGBTQI plus, whatever you want to add, sexual revolution. It's the good news of destruction. The destruction of every fixed God-given reality. It is in that flag that is on our opening computer screens in every store just about we visit, flying from houses and stores and everywhere on bumper stickers. It is, that flag represents, you need to understand this, the defiance of every moral established by God pertaining to sexuality. And even deeper than that, the realities determined by God by way of creation. I I happened to click yesterday. I I thought Pride Month was over, but oh no, oh no. Microsoft is still celebrating, and I've asked for different screens, but they wanted to show me again this scene with with rainbow flags, transgender flags all over the place, and, and they wanted me to go and to see their their statement on the LGBTQI plus movement. So I did. And there was a link to uh, a a statement, I guess, saying that that we're entering a new world. This is their gospel. This is their good news in which there are, quote, no boundaries, end quote. So this is the gospel of the sexual revolution. There are no fixed realities. There are no boundaries. And this is that's their claim. There is no male and female. To think such would be oppressive. And there is no limit on sexual expression. And June now has now become the month of the most well-funded 
evangelistic campaign the world has ever seen. Think about it. The flag flying on nearly, well, every U.S. embassy in the world, supported by multinational corporations of every kind. It makes Billy Graham crusades look like little cheap efforts. It is an evangelistic campaign, a gospel, not the biblical gospel, not the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It is the gospel, the supposed good news of that movement. What I want to do this morning is I, I want to help you to understand as a man or woman of Christ, a boy or girl who loves Jesus, a Christian, of how we ought to cherish God's gift of marriage in that culture. And I wanted this morning just go back to some basics that we all need to be reminded of, instructed of. But what I'm hoping to do here is, is to help you see that abortion, the LGBTQI+, plus, so on, dot, 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 movement, that abortion, and it, it all belongs together. It's all part of an anti-God and anti-Christ movement. And if you think I sound like some old fundamentalist preacher, um, just consider in the next moments as we examine the Bible and the tenets of this movement and consider how they are at absolute unqualified odds. First, I want to review God's design. So let's get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I want you to know I have 10, 10 quick points here, 10 quick observations from Genesis 1, 26 to 28, and chapter 2, 15 through 25. There's more observations we could make, but I want to make 10 quickly this morning. First of all, you'll notice in verse 26 that God declared, let us make man in our image and let them rule over the fish of the sea and so forth. Firstly, I want you to notice that men and women are created. Men and women, that's the key word, are created. Made by God. Made by other, made by someone else made by God. God says, let us make man. And notice that in verse 26, that even there, it's clear that women were not an afterthought. God's intent and design from the very beginning is that there would not be just one man, but there would be male and female. There would be multiple men and women. Let us Make man and let them, see the plural there? Let them rule. But the first point I want you to notice is that men and women are created. Secondly, men and women are made or created in the image of God. This is so crucial that among all of the animals, all of the creatures, amazing as they are, I mean, who doesn't like to watch some of the National Geographic or, or other specials that show us these amazing animals uh, when you have the opportunity? Just incredible. 
Uh, we, you, we maybe like to look at a special a bird or if we see a deer or an animal, we, we, we think, wow, that's amazing. The animal kingdom is amazing. The plants are amazing. Yes, bugs are amazing. But among all the creatures that God created, men and women are unique. No other animal or creature is created or made in the likeness of God. Men and women alone. And there's much significance in that phrase, the image of God. But at the very least, it means that we uniquely are to display something of God's glory and character and that we are to relate to God in a unique way. We can relate to God in a way as being image bearers that no other animals can. We were made as made in the image of God for a certain unique relation to God in whose image we are made. Thirdly, notice verse 27 of chapter 1, God created male and female. There are no other options. There is no in-between. There is no spectrum. There is no gender identity. There are only two realities, male and female. And this is a reality that is reflected in biology to this day. We all understand that there are reports of, of individuals who are born with some kind of malformation and, and maybe they have the, the biology or, or the, of a male and, and maybe the physiology of a female. But we understand that when you look under a microscope and you look at it, there is an identity. This is a male or this is a female. And this is, I want you to notice, this is chapter 1, verse 27. Male and female, he created them. Fourthly, notice from the text this morning that men and women are made to rule over God's creation. Now, in the culture we're in, we don't really like the word rule. We tend to think of it as abuse. But not all rule is abuse. Rule is meant to be managing. It's meant to be caring. It's meant to be nurturing. Christ rules over his church. He doesn't abuse us. He doesn't use us. He doesn't feed off of us. He cares for us. He nurtures us. He guides us. He commands us. He protects us. And so this is an incredible gift, a credible privilege that men and women were made in the image of God to rule over and to manage creation. Just note that. Number five, man was made to be in relation. Look at chapter two now, verse 18. God says there, it is not good for the man to be alone. And we may chuckle about that and, you know, we come up with jokes like, yeah, because if he was alone, he'd starve. No one would cook for him. And, and I get that, and there's some truth to that. But really, I, even if you're a man here today or a woman, and you're saying, no, I, I really like being alone. I really, 
I really don't want to be with anybody. Oh, that is not true. That is not true. Let's stick you on a planet with absolutely no other individual whatsoever that you will ever speak to your entire life. And let's see how that goes. You, 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 I understand there's some of us who love a group, love a crowd, others of us who like to spend a lot of time alone, but all of us, irrespective of our personality, were made for relationship. It is not good for man to be alone. And be very careful. God is not making all of his, creating all his creation and then looking around and saying, you know, wow, I, I made a mistake there. I've been doing some projects around the house trying to get ready for the wedding and company that we might have. And, and I enjoy that, but I can tell you, I can show you mistake after mistake after mistake. I should have done that differently. I'm not an expert. Uh, you know, that's not God. God knew from the beginning it would not be good for man to be alone. So this is not an afterthought. He was made for relationship. All of us were made for relationship of one kind or another. Doesn't mean that every man or woman was made for marriage. Our Lord Jesus himself was not married. The Apostle Paul was not married. Singleness is actually held up in the New Testament as honorable. So there is no second-class citizenship in, being, in not being married. But whether married or single, we all are made for relationship. And in particular, God did design men and women, generally speaking, to be married. Six. I want you to notice in verses 21 and 23 of chapter 2, that woman is of the same substance as man. That's important. The text emphasizes that God made Eve, the woman, out of the side of Adam. Uh, Apparently there was some uh, anesthesia there. God put him to sleep. And uh, but God took a chunk out of his side. I mean, whether it's a rib and, and some of I mean, the idea there is God, in a sense, did divine surgery and and made a woman out of the material, the substance, the flesh of the man. And there's much now significance in this. God, of course, could have just said, let there be a woman and there would have been a woman. Right. That's what he, you know, so it's not a problem. Or he could have fashioned a woman out of the dust of the ground. But by his sovereign wisdom, he chose to take from the side of the man a chunk of flesh and bone and to fashion a woman out of that flesh. This is significant. Verse 23, Adam says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She is not a different kind of creature, no matter what some of you men might think. Boys, she is actually more similar to you. The women in our lives have more in common with us than we have differentiation from one another. Made of the same stuff, the same substance. 
Seventh, I want you to notice that woman was made to help man. Now, oh boy, this is where we can things can get tense real quick and we can load all kinds of things into the passage and Pastor Gabe's a chauvinist and we are not for women. Stop, just stop. The word there, ezer, in English, it'd be E-Z-E-R, is also used of God. So the word help here is not a demeaning word. It's not like she can just be the help in the kitchen or the laundry. She can just be, just to come along. No, no, this is, this is a man who's been charged with an awesome responsibility. And the task is such that God makes from the same substance one who is like him to be an ezer to him. God is described in the Old Testament with that word. He is our Ebenezer, Ezer, Ezer. Thus far God has helped me. And if the term Ezer or Ezer can be used as a title for God, our helper, it's certainly not a demeaning for a woman to be called a helper of man. You see that? There's a dignity here. He needs help, and he does not need help at this point, Adam, because he's dumb or because he's sinful or because he's dull. He's perfect as God created him. He's without sin. He's wise. He's strong. He's healthy than any of us have ever been or ever will be. And yet he needs help. He needs a companion and a helper in this divine mandate to rule over creation and multiply. So the woman is to be a help to the man, help him as a joint ruler over God's creation. An eighth observation. A wife is to be a companion to her husband and he to her. A companion. This isn't just practical. Adam needs help, and so God creates a woman just to be his help. But this is a relationship. It is not good for the man to be alone. God makes woman from his side. You, you can't really picture any closer. In other words, she's from him. She, she is right beside him. There is a walking together in the Duties given to them by God, and they are to be companions. This is spelled out later in the Old Testament, and sadly, we hear this phrase in Malachi chapter 2 as an indictment upon the Israelite men of that generation. But God, through the prophet, rebukes the men and the husbands of that generation in Malachi chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. But Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, God is rejecting the worship of the men of that generation. Why? Because the men, God has been a witness between the men and the wife of their youth. And he says to the men against whom you have dealt treacherously, and here's the key phrase, Though she is a companion and your, your companion and your wife by covenant. 
She is your companion and your wife by covenant. A wife is to be a companion to her husband and her husband to her companion. I mean, a husband to her wife, his wife. Boy, I really got my pronouns mixed up there. Um, (laughs) And again, I just have two more observations. We're just making observations. We're going to contrast this next with the movement of today. And we're going to come back at the close with some application. Number nine, sexual union in the opening chapters of Genesis and the rest of the Bible, we learn sexual union is the unique expression of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. I know that's a little long, but sexual intimacy, intercourse, union of a husband and wife is the unique expression of their marriage covenant. This is what we find at the end of chapter 2. For this reason, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's clear in chapter 4, Verse 1, that Adam, the man, had relations with his wife. Notice how discreet and honorable the scriptures are about sexual intimacy. The man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Sexual involvement, sexual activity, sexual intimacy is expressly, solely, for a husband and wife to enjoy as an expression of their marriage covenant. Do you see that? It's not just simply, oh, that's good, that's bad. Sexual intimacy and union is for the express relationship of marriage and for an expression of union and renewal of the covenant. Tenth and finally, in this observation about the text, the sexual union of a husband and wife begets life. Typically. This isn't the sole only purpose of sex. It is clear in the Bible, in the Song of Solomon and elsewhere, that it is designed by God for enjoyment between a husband and wife. It's not dirty. It's not solely for the purpose of procreation. But it is designed by God for conception of life. It's very basic, rudimentary observation, but that sexual union between a husband and wife normally begets life. We understand there are couples who are not able to conceive and the heartache of that. But the one flesh is the boy or girl from sperm and egg. These two people become, in their son or daughter, is begotten one flesh. A boy or girl. It's amazing. It's incredible. And even though there are 
There's biology and physiology involved. It is, in all of scriptures, described as of the Lord. In chapter 4, Eve says, I have, when she is pregnant, she says, I have, and gives birth, she says, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. She understands that though it was Adam and her who came together, that ultimately the child within, within her and that was born was of the Lord. We could make more observations, but these are ten basic observations from this passage. Now I want to consider how the sexual revolution, the LGBTQI whatever, unending, how the sexual revolution with abortion as its key component defies these creation realities at every point. First, according to the sexual revolution and the LGBTQI plus gospel, if you happen to be among the lucky who are not aborted, and that's just a chance, if you happen to not be aborted, you have no creator but yourself. There is no God who made you. You may not have even been made by a mom and a dad. But whatever the biology of where you came from and if you survived and you made it past abortion... Good news, from now on out, you can create yourself and make yourself whatever you want to be. No creator except yourself. Secondly, according to the sexual revolution gospel, you have no purpose except to be whatever. You have no purpose. God gave to Adam and Eve a distinct purpose a reason for being in this world. He gave them a dignity. The LGBTQI plus movement and the sexual revolution of our generation says you actually have no inherent purpose. You have no boundaries. You, you can do whatever you want to be, you do whatever you want to do, which means that you have no significance and you have no meaning. You have to continually construct it and make it up. Thirdly, and you know this, according to the sexual revolution gospel, and I'm using that phrase intentionally, and I want you to think of it that way. Every time you see a rainbow transgender flag, you understand you are being evangelized with this false gospel. According to this false gospel, there is no male and no female. There is no male and there is no female. If you want to be male, sure. If you want to be fam female, maybe you have a biological, but you can be whatever you want to be because you can choose your gender identity, and it is not tied to your biology. You say, who came up with that? Exactly. Exactly. There's no male or female, what a, and that sounds freeing to some. But so far, 
You have no creator but yourself. You have no purpose. And being a boy or a girl, there's nothing good about that. There's nothing good about being male. There's nothing good about being female. They're not, there's nothing good about them. You can choose to be whatever you want to be, but, but you're, not, you're not a boy, inherently. You can't think that way. You're a girl. You, you, can't, you can't assume that. There's a spectrum, and you're somewhere on the spectrum. Fourth, nature is more important than men and women. Nature... The animals, the bugs, creation is more important than men and women. On a certain road this morning, I noticed a sign in which a very kind person put, slow down, watch out for baby animals. And I'm thinking, how about slow down and walk, watch out for walking people, which there's a lot of people who walk on that road. I don't mean I like baby animals like everybody else. But there's people walking on the road when you drive on a 20-mile-per-hour road at 70 miles per hour. But oh no, we got to look out for the baby animals. (laughs) And we do live in a culture that puts animals as more important than men and women, boys and girls. Nature's more important than men and women, and according to the sexual revolution gospel, We should kill men and women, if necessary, to save the planet. They say that? What do you think abortion is except population control? And you need to understand, I think you understand this, that in the Save the Planet movement, it's boys and girls and births that are the problem. We need more animals, less people. It's the exact reverse of God's design. Number five, instead of men and women being made for relationship, the sexual revolution gospel says, no, it's good for you to be alone. It's good. I mean, it's, it's a strange reality right now. We have a society, you hear it, in, I was hearing it in a song recently, I wish I'd written it down, some of you maybe know it, but the pop songs, this is, this is about the loneliest generation there has ever been. But that's the gospel of the sexual revolution and the culture that we're in. Hyper-autonomy. Hyper-autonomy. You don't need to be stuck in the family that you're in. You don't need to be in proper relationship, honor your father and mother. You don't need to love your neighbor and consider them. You don't need to enter into marriage and actually commit to somebody and love them. You don't need to stay at an employer and a job because you respect the people there. You don't need to have relationship to anyone except you, yourself, and you. And if you want to put on some goggles and go play around in a make-believe world where there's no real people, go right ahead. You were made to be alone. Oh, I know they talk about love and relationships and so forth, but there is an insistence on you are not tied or to or made for any relationship in particular. Hyper-autonomy. Number six, 
LGBTQI plus gospel says that, yes, you are of the same flesh as other human beings if the donor wills you to be. Think about it. If you're conceived in a womb or a dish, this movement, this sexual revolution, this death culture says you are of equal value and of substance as other human beings if somebody chooses and says you are. In other words, you have no inherent value. Inherently, you are not made of the same stuff and worthy of the same respect and protections. You only are valuable and made of the same substance if the donor or the scientist or the politician says you are, allows you to be and to grow up and to be born. You're not of the same substance. You're just tissue unless on a good day the mother happens to decide, it's my baby. It's all according to the will of those in power, but you are not inherently made of the same substance as others. Number seven, according to this false gospel, there are no distinct roles for men and women whatsoever. There was another huge Supreme Court case ruling. Some of you maybe are aware of this. Uh, several schools in the state of Maine. The state of Maine has for 100 years had a program in which if you lived in a remote area and your children did not have access to a public school, that the funds from the state could be used for your child to attend a parochial school, a Christian school, of some, you know, that was closer, or if you wanted to send them to that. And the state of Maine had this case that went all the way to the Supreme Court saying that a few Christian schools, that, that the state of Maine was willing to allow monies to go to some religious institutions, but not to these two schools because they were too religious and actually taught. And I, have this, I couldn't believe it. This quote from the Maine Attorney General just a week ago after he, res- he responded to the Supreme Court ruling. In the paper, I don't know if it was the Portland Press or Bangor Daily News, the Attorney General enlisting why these Christian schools. He First of all, he said we do not want to support bigotry. And what's he mean by bigotry? That in these Christian schools, they teach that there are boys and girls and that there's only one place for sexual involvement in the marriage. That's bigotry. And then this was, it would be funny in other contexts, except it's not funny. And in the paper, the Maine Attorney General said, quote, and in one of the schools, they actually teach the husband is to be leader in the home, end quote. Horror of horrors. We do not want funds going to pay to teach boys that one day they're growing up and they should actually lead in the home. This ideology, which is the dominant religion of our age, there is no distinct role for men or women whatsoever. 
This is, this is most evident in the, in the demonic description of birthing people. And we tend to laugh at it. But you have to understand what our leaders and those in government, when they use the phrase birthing people, they are diminishing women. These liberal progressives who say that they are for women, they are advocating that if you are a woman, you have no unique role as a mother. A man apparently can be a birthing person as much as a woman. And presently, that's still biologically not the case. I have no doubt that in the coming years, we're going to see headlines, man gives birth to a baby. I mean, I, you know, whatever. But in this culture, in this gospel, this false gospel, there's no distinct roles for men and women. What a tragedy. Number eight, need to move quickly and then we'll come to a few applications. In this, according to this sexual revolution, infidelity, sexual, I'm sorry, infidelity and loneliness are the norm. This is why there's, there's just a, an army of counselors who themselves are lonely. The counselors need counseling. But why, why do we suddenly have, I mean, there are people who really do need counsel. I, I mean, I need counsel in my life. I hope that you come to a pastor at times when you need help in your life. Or I, I'm not, we all need help. We all need encouragement. But I'm talking about psychological counselors that people go to in the droves and pay big money. Why do we have this? Because people are so desperately lonely, depressed. And according to the sexual revolution, infidelity should be praised. You should have sexual relations with anyone or anything you want at any time, at any place, and it doesn't matter. Which is number nine. Sexual activity has no implicit significance whatsoever. Think about that. Sexual activity, according to the false sexual gospel of this culture, sexual activity has no implicit significance. It doesn't do anything except express your desires Sex doesn't matter, and it's no more than a passing gratification. It's not for a husband and wife. It has no significance in reinforcing a loving covenant. It's not an expression of loyalty and of trust. It doesn't beget life. Sexual activity is disconnected, and it's nothing more than a preference. Finally, number 10. According to this false gospel, a sperm and egg produce the potential of life if those in power grant it. Similar to an earlier point I made. But the earlier point I wanted to underscore was in in the Bible, God says that a little one, that Eve was of the same substance as Adam. And that what they begot was one flesh, one boy or girl in of the same substance as them. Here I want to emphasize that according to the LGBTQI abortion movement, a sperm and egg produce life only if we grant the permission to live. 
These are just some, I'm just hoping, trying to help you see how when you see the rainbow flag, the transgender flag, you see this movement, you need to understand this. It is an anti-God and anti-Christ movement unparalleled in the history of humanity. There are other religions that undermine God's design at different points. There has never been an organized movement, and it is organized, and it is paid, and you are just subjected to a month of evangelistic campaign that defies and denounces God's design at every single juncture. And abortion is necessary, of course, as a prop to maintain the idea that men and women don't have to be male or female. You don't have to have husband and wife. You don't have to have marriage. Because because what happens normally when you have a man and you have a woman and they come together in sexual intimacy, you have a child, which that's a problem because all that does is reinforce the design that there is a creator, that there is male and there is female. And we can't have that. So we must be able to end, terminate, and slaughter that little boy or girl in the womb so that we can maintain our godless, Christless rampage of destruction. All the businesses, all the commercials, I mean, inundated, if you have TV, you are inundated. Every cable company, every company. You, I mean, even if you were a person who was for that movement, I would think you'd be like, already enough. I mean, we are at a point in the United States where there's a, the rainbow flag is flown far more than the United States flag. Do you notice that? You see the rainbow flag far more. When's the last time you saw the stars and stripes all over a Google or a Microsoft or an Apple front page. Not happening. Think about it. So what are we to do in the five minutes that I have? First of all, I have tried this morning, and I want to be intentional, to fix in your mind, there is no middle ground. Maybe 15, 20, 25 years ago, in the, as Christians... We were so anxious. We were so concerned about what the world thought of us. We were constantly wanting to say, but we're not judgmental. We're all sinners. And that's true, of course. But what we, what we missed, what we totally underestimated is what the Bible has to say is Satan and our enemy and those who love evil, they don't want our approval. Listen very carefully. They want us to bow the knee and worship and embrace. They don't want you to be nice. They could care less if you're tolerant. There is no exception. There is, rather, there is no option according to their mind unless every single professing Christian or person of a different worldview bows their knee, believes the LGBTQI plus sexual revolution gospel, pledges allegiance, and lives the life of destruction accordingly. 
That is all they're after. That's all they're settled for. It is time as Christians, we wake up. There is no middle ground. You are scorned. You are hated. You are despised. You are a bigot. You are a hater. And you need to understand that that is who you are if you are aligning with Jesus Christ in the word of God. You cannot have one foot in both. You cannot be in the middle. You can, and we, of course, are to be kind. We are to lead quiet lives. We don't hold up signs. We're not going to win anything by placards. We're going to love. We are going to be gracious. We are people of life. We are people of relationships. It breaks our heart because many of these people are our loved ones. They are our family members. They are our neighbors. We love them. They are lost. But we must fix in our minds. There is no alternative. When you see that flag... You must understand, and you're going to think I'm crazy saying this, some of you, but that is as good as Satan himself lifting up a standard for his kingdom. At every single point, that movement represents the defiance of God and anti-Christ and what he wants for, the mer- for home, for marriage. And this is the world we live in, especially up here in the Northeast. So what are we to do in the three minutes I have left? All of us, whether we are married or not, understand that in this fallen, perverse, and crooked world, when we hold to what the Bible teaches about male and female, and particularly marriage, and if we are married, we do as the Bible tells us, husbands, love your wives. Wives, love and respect your husbands. As we live as co-heirs, as we as men in a world that treats women as if they have no inherent dignity. And we treat women as fellow image bearers of God, a precious gift, our wife in particular, however different we are, however challenging our relationship may be. When we embrace God's view of marriage and we love our spouse, and we seek to grow in our companionship, we defy the gates of hell. We defy the gates of hell. You can have your gospel. You can have your no purpose. You can have your no identity. You can have your absolute confusion. You can have your loneliness. You can have your infidelity and your sense of being used. You can have all of that. You can have your slaughter and your blood and your gross worldview. That gospel, that false gospel, I want God's way in which the beauty of his design, he makes men and women, boys and girls in his image from very conception made in his image. And made in his image, they have an inherent dignity and design. No one but God determines that. Not the government, 
not a politician, not a mother, not, a, not under any circumstance. They have a God-given inherent dignity. And give me what God has to say about marriage. Give me that companionship, which I am so pleased to know. That sexual intimacy, which is the expression of trust and love and gospel grace and covenant renewal. The sense that you are loved by someone like no one else loves. The sense of trust. The sense of forgiveness that goes along with the gospel. God's way is good. God's way is beautiful. And yes, our marriages may struggle. And yes, we may need to ask forgiveness of one another. And what an opportunity to return to the grace of the gospel and to renew our covenant love for one another as husbands and wives, even if we've sinned against one another and failed each other miserably. As we stumble along through this world, holding one another up, as we defend the institution of marriage, as we pray for other couples in this church, we defy, we defy the destruction gospel of the LGBTQI movement. And we give to our boys and girls a picture that I pray, I trust in the upcoming generation. You're going to start to see the, the fruit. You're going to start to see it. You're already seeing it. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. And so young men and young women here today, I challenge you. Uh, young, if you're a young adult... You go, you look at the emptiness, the loneliness, the depression of that movement with all the happiness on the face, it's just, it's just surface. And then you think about the men and women in your life who have been married and have loved each other for a long time. And you look at the twinkle in their eye, the peace, the grace they have, the sense of love they have, and you compare it and you ask yourself, which way is better? Marriage is a gift from God. And it is a form of holy kingdom defiance. We will not waver. We love God, we love Christ. And for that today, that does recall us again. What can you do in this culture that's going to hell? That's why Ephesians, I'm going to close with this. Chapter 6, after speaking of the gospel and of the church and that call, God called us by his grace to redemption in Jesus Christ and the glory of the gospel, the glory of the church. After all this, and the question is, how then can we live as these kinds of people who have been called by grace, redeemed by the blood of Christ? How can we live as Christ's church Chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 5, chapter 6 is good too. Chapter 5, verse 22, wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives. Verse 33, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself. The wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Do not underestimate the gospel kingdom power of faithfulness to an ordinary marriage.
Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the gift of marriage. We confess that we have not treated it as a gift as often as much as we should. Every one of us here who's married understands that we have sinned against our spouse in various ways. We know we could be better husbands, better wives. But this morning, we just step back and thank you for your design. That you make male and female, boys and girls. That you made us to know the companionship of marriage. And for those who are single and for boys and girls, that there is joy in being in a community where there are marriages. So wherever we find ourselves this morning, we thank you for this gift. And we pray that as we see Satan take off any kind of limitations on his destructive gospel, we pray that you'll give us courage and peace in these days. And help us as we suffer in our hearts and sometimes maybe monetarily and some here in their businesses when we do not bow the knee to this false religion. Help us to trust in you at all times and to trust that you will vindicate us, O Lord, as we have walked in our integrity. In Jesus' name, amen.